Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come with me, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. The title of my message again, Don't Strike Out. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Just put a stop there. In fact, what we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to look at another scripture, but let me just put a stop there. What a weird thing to say. Elisha is dying. He gets a visit from the king. The king comes to Elisha and he says to Elisha, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. He doesn't say, Hey, is there anything we can do for you in these last moments? Hey, you've done all these incredible miracles and breakthroughs. You know, are you comfortable? Is there anything you need? The world that we live in, because of need, we don't even realize need makes us selfish makes us selfish. It's a very interesting stanza, and I want to give you the origin of the stanza. The stanza, if we go backwards now, uh, uh, 11 chapters, go back to 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 8 to 10. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. What has happened is that Elisha is the servant of Elijah. Elijah is the man of God who... Uh, took on the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher on Mount Carmel. He, he was one against 850. And he says, you know, let's have a competition. You call on your God, I'll call on my God. And the God that answers by fire, that's the true God. And there were 850 stations, 850 CNN, MSNBC, NBC. You could turn on and they're all piping off, Baal and Asherah, Baal and Asherah, Baal and Asherah, Baal and Asherah. In fact, um, they were hunting down Elijah as a disinformation, misinformationist. They were trying to wipe him out. But he represented the Lord and he represented the, the word of God and he refused to be snuffed out. So he said, let's have a competition. And fire came down on the mountain and the whole nation saw that the Lord was God. And so they got rid of the false prophets. They took out the, the, the fake news. They took out the lying media, took them out. Then that same Elijah, now that the, now that the lies in the airwaves had been removed, he could hear clearly, and they'd been in a drought, they'd been in an economic downturn, they were in a famine, and the Bible says that Elijah now turns to the king of Israel, who was Ahab at that time, he says, Ahab, why don't you go back to your palace and carry on with your eating and drinking? You have authority, you have a crown, you have a throne, but you got no power. He says, I'm going to go back up onto the top of Mount Carmel that's been scorched by the fire of God coming down because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And the Bible says that this Elijah climbs back up onto the mountain and bows himself over on the, on the ground and begins to pray. And then he sends his servant, his servant, to go and have a look at the Mediterranean. He comes back and says nothing. So Elijah prays again. And he says, now go. And the servant runs again, looks. Ah, nothing's changed. So Elijah prays again. Sends a servant again the third time. Um, yeah, nothing Elijah doesn't say, well, I gave it my best shot. <laughs> Elijah doesn't say, well, yeah, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe, maybe what God said, you know, didn't come easy. Elijah, sota arabutu urakita, prays again. The servant goes a fourth time, nothing. Elijah prays again, dosati tarama, sent fifth time, nothing. Elijah prays again. Sends a servant the sixth time. Now he's not running or skipping. He's just. <laughs> Nothing. 
Bible says Elijah prayed a seventh time. Sends the servant the seventh time. Are you, are you serious? Seventh time. You, you want me to go and look again? This is your seventh time. He comes back and says, ah, I, I was almost not going to say anything, but there's a cloud coming up out of the sea, but un poquito. It's, it's the size of a man's hand. And Elijah, who's been praying, turns to him and he says, run. Run! Because you won't make it back to the palace before the, the heavens are filled with clouds, a tempest and a downpour and a rain and the drought is broken. The Bible says that the servant ran and couldn't make it to the palace in time before the entire heavens were filled with rain, crowd, rain clouds and the entire famine was broken in a moment. The same man that called fire down on a mountain and scorched the mountain is the same man that broke the drought. This is Elijah. Elisha has the privilege of serving Elisha. Elisha is following Elijah. In fact, let's, let's read it. So now Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and he struck the water of the Jordan River and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, his servant, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Somebody say, the power is in your hands. The power is in your hands. He said, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be so. But if not, it won't be. So he kept saying to him, stay here, I've got to cry. It's the Lord your God lives. I, 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 I like Elisha. So now what happens, they cross over and the, the, the heavens open again and chariots come down. And Elisha says to Elijah, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And the Bible says, and Elijah was caught up in the whirlwind on chariots of fire and went straight up into heaven, but his mantle fell down. Elisha comes and picks up the mantle. The Bible says the school of the prophets, there were 50 pr prophetic students standing on, on the bank. Mantle didn't fall to them. Education is good, but education is no substitute for serving. The anointing isn't given to the educator. The anointing is given to the servants. What a good and faithful servant. And the, the, the 50 are watching and Elisha picks, uh, picks up the mantle of Elijah and he goes back to the Jordan River and he strikes the Jordan River and out of his mouth come, where is the God of Elijah? And as the, as the mantle hits the water, the waters part and he walks across on dry ground and the 50 prophets see that God has declared where he is, he's now with Elisha. He's now with Elisha. Now come back to the story. The king of Israel has a, has a dilemma. He has a problem. Because of compromise, because of corruption, because of wickedness in Israel, God has handed them over to the enemy. Pastor Michael and, and beautiful elder, when that we were singing songs of authority, we're declaring to you that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has, has been given to me. That Jesus took the keys of death and took the keys of hell. That Jesus has authority. So technically, technically, the devil has no authority. Technically. Yet he runs amok. But technically he has no authority. It's, it's, not, it's not that there's a, a, a dilemma or a contradiction. The devil has no authority except what you give him. Where's that in the Bible? In the very beginning. 
God did not give the devil authority. He gave man authority. And the devil has authority because he took it from Adam and Eve. When they disobeyed God and put their tr trust in him, he took authority. The devil has as much authority over your life as you let him. This is good news today. If the devil's got a hold over your life, you have given him authority. You are in violation of, of the word in some area. I don't like awaken. I think they're judgmental. And they... And let me tell you something, I'm going to preach the word. And if we only preach fluff and sugar candy, and it's no good for you. It's not going to help you. You need to come to church and have a little ouch moment. I don't lie. I don't even want to hear that. Because it's only in the areas where I realize I'm in violation of God's laws or transgression that the devil can occupy authority. But as soon as I repent, as soon as I line up again with the word of God, the devil has to flee. That's why the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you haven't first submitted to God, you can resist all you like. He's not going anywhere. But as soon as you submit to God, put his word first, you remove any authority the devil has over your life. Does that, does that make sense? So the king comes and he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. The Syrian army grows in numbers by the day. They've cut off our water. They've cut off our food. Do you have any miracles left in the barrel? Is there any breakthroughs left in your bag? He, he, you're on your death then. But we need a God moment. We've tried everything. We looked at our army. We looked at our weapon. We looked at our artillery. And we realized without God, we are kaput. Do you have a miracle left? My father, my father. And Elisha, go to verse 15, says, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So the king put his hand on the bow. And Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands. And he said, now open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And as he shot, as the arrow is flying through the air, watch what Elisha does. He prophesies, he says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Everyone say, must strike. He says, you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And then he said to the king of Israel, take the arrows. And so he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And the king struck once, struck twice, struck three and then stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Verse 20, then Elisha died and they buried him. Today, I want to give you four points that I believe are going to be breakthrough points. The first one is your ask is your faith. Your ask equals your faith. Elisha does not ask for 50% of what Elijah's carrying. Like, I mean, I feel convicted, if I was honest with you. I feel convicted because like, you know, if, if Elijah would have said, hey, man, I would have thought, man, I could never measure up to you. Man, the way you called down fire and, and then broke the drought, man. You know, I don't even feel like I'm half the man. Yeah, please, sir, could I have more? More? I, you know, I, I, if I was honest with you, I would have settled for 50%. I would have just asked for, can I just have, like, if I could just be half the man you were. So people come and go, man, Pastor Jürgen, when you were preaching, man, you had Elijah. Yeah, you see that? Yeah. There were like 50% of him in me. But not, not Elisha. Elisha says, man, you were pretty awesome. You were a boss. But I want to be twice the boss you were. <laughs> and I love Elijah. Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless. You have asked a hard thing, nevertheless. Let, let, let me just tell you, if, if, if you said, hey, pastor, could you dumb down into a nutshell the mission of Awakened Church? Pastor, I don't understand. Why can't you just have gone right out in the middle of the boondocks, bought 
100 acres of property and build a megatropolis church that everyone drives to. Why, why do you have to have campuses, you know, one in Bayho now, one in Balboa, one in Bressy Ranch, one in San Marcos, one in El Cajon, one down in Eastlake, another one coming on Coronado, probably another one out in Santa. Why, why do you have to have, why do you have to have, why, why, I don't understand, why do you, because I'm telling you, because the people in the world will tell you that it's hard to live here. It's hard to get free of alcohol. It's hard to get free of it. It's hard to get rid of your student loans and your debts. It's, it's just hard to, it's hard to keep a marriage together, pastor, in this time. You know, it's hard and the Antichrist is coming. And I think we're on the last days and the world, and, 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 and I'm not sure, have you got some butane heaters and some baked, you know, you, you, you need, you need some, some baked goods and, and some food stored up because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You might, we might have to live in a cave for the next three years. There are so many people telling you about how hard it is. When you walk into this house, you should hear a word that says hard, well done. That's where God comes in. God doesn't do the easy stuff. God does the hard things. You should understand that when you start asking hard things, you just stepped into the God domain. Jesus said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. In this house, we're trying to get you to quit letting man have the final voice, the loudest voice, the greatest opinion in your life. We're trying to get you to build your life on the Word of God, build your life on the promises of God and cross over into the all things are possible network. You don't have to move to Alabama to own a home. You don't have to move to Arkansas to own a home. God can prosper you here. God God can bless you here. Oh, but what about the taxes? God can prosper you so you can pay your taxes and still have more than enough left over. His arm is not short that he cannot say. I know you're in the right house by what you're asking. We need to be that house. Well, you know, Pastor, you got to understand, my God, when we came here, people told me what I couldn't do. They're like, yeah, hey, welcome, welcome to San Diego, Pastor. It's a preacher's graveyard, just by the way, it's a preacher's graveyard. Oh, um, by the way, in case nobody told you, there's no zoning for churches, no zoning in the city of San Diego for churches. So, you know, so just, you know, and all the churches, they're, 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 they're already fighting over property as it is. So just get good with, you know, just renting. Just, and it's, it's cheaper to rent because, you know, if you've seen San Diego's the fifth most expensive city, that's what we told so I just made a decision, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming here to be with men. I'm not coming here to let men's word trump God's word. I, I, I refuse to go back to God and God's like, how are you going getting buildings? Oh, God. <laughs> wow. You're a little out of touch. Yeah, yeah, let me just remind you. The locals told me that it's too difficult for you here. This is not, this is not flow rider God. This is not the Texas Bible Belt God. This is, with men it is impossible. Come out from under the words of unbelieving, faithless, negative, naysaying, Nancy, doomsday, Dan. Come over into what God has said. What has God said? What are you asking for? What are you asking for? I know that we're doing, my, my, my barometer on how well we're doing as a church if, is how, how, how our people are flourishing. How, how does a farmer know how, by the state of his flocks? How does a vine dresser know by the state of the vineyard? By the fruit that's growing on the tree? The measure isn't how many likes. In fact, I'm banned on most social media platforms anyway. <laughs> I'm not looking at how many likes or how many speaking invitations. I couldn't give a rat's about any of that stuff. What I look for, I know if I'm, if I'm pleasing my Abba by how well you're doing, by what you're asking, by your breakthrough, by your testimonies. They told us we couldn't, we got a home. They told us we couldn't have babies. We just had to. I'm telling you, miracle after miracle after miracle. You know that you're spending more time in the word and less time in the world by what you're asking. The world will kill your faith. The word will inspire your faith. Your ask is your faith. Number two, warfare equals advancement. Warfare equals advancement. 
I want you to notice that Elisha doesn't say to the king of Israel, hey, relax, God's on the throne. God's got this. He says, take a bow and some arrows. But what are they against so many? The English are too many. I will run and will live for a while anyway. But many years from now, lie and dine in your beds. How many of you would be willing to trade every day from this to that for one chance? To tell Longshanks and our enemies, you can take our land, you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. I mean, it's a quote from the book of William Wallace. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Do we believe that God is on the throne? 100%. But Elisha doesn't say to him, God is on the throne. God is the protector of Israel, which he says he is. The God is watching over Israel. God will protect Israel. God is the God who defends Israel. He does not say any of that. He says, you king, get a bow and some arrows. And when he gets the bow, he says, put your hand on the bow. He puts his hands on the bow. And then Elisha puts his hand on the king's hand to say, God has ordained and God has blessed that, that you need to implement warfare. In your life, in my life, Every advancement is through spiritual warfare. There are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of wickedness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There are only two kingdoms. Therefore, to advance the kingdom of light, to advance the kingdom of righteousness, to advance the kingdom of God means that the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of wickedness, the kingdom of Satan, Satan has to lose ground. Let me just tell you, he don't want to lose ground. Therefore, it requires warfare. He ain't given freebies. When they said to me, oh, San Diego's a tough city. Name a city that's not. Do you really think that there are demons over cities? They're like, oh, we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah, we don't really care if God... Every single principality and power does not want to lose territory. You got to get a bow and you got to get some arrows. You got to get some spiritual warfare. Paul writes to Timothy and says, My son Timothy, 1 Timothy 1:18. He says, My son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, by them, by them wage the good warfare. Well, you would say, Well, yeah, and it's a prophecy. I got a prophecy, Pastor. That's awesome. Paul says, now get that prophecy. Every prophetic word is an arrow. Get that prophecy, put it in a bow, and shoot. by the prophecies made previously concerning you, by them wage the good warfare. It's amazing how many Christians think that the armor of God is like, you know, it's optional. You know, like the armor of God is like, it's a fashion accessory. Like, you know, I'm a Christian and today, I, I just, I'm just feeling like I'm going to wear the armor of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the 2023 Christian fashion statement, here it comes. He's wearing the latest in spiritual armor. He's got the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of God's feet. He's got the sword of the spirit and shield of faith. I'm too sexy for my church, too sexy for my I'm. You'll notice something about the armor. There's no back on it. There's no back. All you see is Calvin Klein. Because you were never meant to be running from the battle. You and I are meant to be running to the battle. Let me just tell you, the armor of God is not a suggestion. It's not an optional extra. It is a requirement for the Christian because you and I are engaged in a war. Jesus said, I will build my church. Same sentence, same verse. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church advances through warfare. All right, I've got about a third of you believe it. All right. Okay, just, just, to, just to keep messing with the Calvinists. 
I believe that God is sovereign, but I believe that God made you sovereign. Man is sovereign. God will not violate your free will. Yeah, his wonderful coercive and persuasive abilities. Jonah decides he doesn't want to serve God. And God's like, wonderful, knock yourself out. Try it in the belly of a whale. Lord, I think I want to rethink my life. I think so too. God has wonderful powers of persuasion, but he will not violate your free will. There are people in hell. Hell is a real place. What is hell? The greatest definition, it's where God isn't. How could a loving God send people to hell? Because he loves the people he's sending there because they don't want him. They don't want anything to do with him, so he gives them what they want. They want a place where he isn't, so he has removed himself from a place. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. Hell has no joy. It has torment. The Bible says in his presence is peace. There is no peace in that place. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Hell is a place of darkness that is so thick that it can be felt. Hell is, is where you don't want to be. Hell is where God isn't. But there is a hell, not because God chooses to send people to hell people choose to go to hell and God gives them what they want warfare God is sovereign but he gave you free will God moves when you move I, I, don't, I don't like this I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be responsible for my life I want God the worst songs and I hate them I won't sing the lines is you know um you know, t take control, Lord, take control, take over. You know, take, God's like, no, no, I, I ain't taking over. You and I partner together. All right, let me, let me help you. They're standing at the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming up from behind. And God says to Moses, why are you whining to me? Stretch out the rod and part the sea. Like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't God just say, Moses, stand back, son, I don't want you to get wet. <laughs> God said to Moses, I gave you authority. It's in that rod. When you stretch, I move. God said, I will, I will drive out the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Hivite. I will drive them out. Goliath's Stands in the valley for 40 days, pipe enough saying, Splain me. I thought your God was driving us out. Here I am, rock you like. He, he's there for 40 days, piping off. And the children of Israel said, Well, he's an anomaly because he's a descendant of the Nephilim. He's a descendant, he's an aberration. David goes into battle with a rock and a sling. God didn't. Kill Goliath, David had to put a rock in a sling. Somebody had to walk into the valley. Somebody had to be courageous. Somebody had to engage. Somebody had to go to Santee, to the YMCA. Somebody had to stand there because God moves when you move. When David put a, God was anointing and bam, and took him out. Joshua had to shout and the walls of Jericho came down. Moses said to Joshua, take some men and, and go to war against this enemy. I will take the rod of God and stand on the mountain with the rod lifted. And the Bible says that while Moses had the rod lifted, Israel prevailed. But when his arms got, got heavy and he dropped the rod, Amalek prevailed. What? How does a man, because God works in partnership. God works in partnership. The biggest lie of the devil is it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. God is sovereign. God does whatever he wants. Rubbish. Rubbish. You have robbed me. What are you talking about, God? Who in their right mind would rob you? You have. How? Tithes and offerings. It says, if you bring the tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven 
For God to open them, they must currently, presently be closed. He says, because you have withheld, the heavens have withheld. But if you will release, the heavens will release. If you will open, heaven opens. God responds to you. This is not popular preaching, but it's the truth. Elisha is saying to the king, don't fear the enemy, don't look at the enemy, don't get disheartened, don't get beat down, take a bow and some arrows. When, when Moses and Joshua go up onto the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the Bible says as they're coming back, the, you know what's happened down there, Aaron's made a golden calf and all the people are hey, 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 and they're dancing and taking their clothes off and it's weird. And the Bible says, as they're coming down the mountain, Joshua stops Moses. He says, Moses, Moses, do you hear that? That's the sound of war in the camp. Moses, being the leader, has discernment. He says, Joshua, it's not the sound of war. He says, this is neither the sound of the shout of victory, nor is it the sound of weeping of defeat. This is something else. And they were in revelry and, de and debauchery. See, the question isn't, are you in warfare? That's not the question. The question is, what are you warfaring against? The sound of war is in the camp. Joshua breaks my heart. They're not warring, they're partying. They've already, they've already, they're dancing to the rhythmic beats of a perishing world. They're dancing to the doldrums of idolatry. They're dancing to the hypnotic muse of the perishing. They're no longer warfare. In warfare, there are shouts of victory and there's the weeping of defeat. You get back up again, you keep going again, the kingdom advances on spiritual warfare. They told me we couldn't get a building. We currently own 12 buildings in San Diego. And I'd love to tell you it's because I'm so smart. I'm not smart enough. Oh, it's because you're, it's no, it's because I just chose to believe God. Because I stepped out, God moved mightily. God moves mightily on the other side of your obedience. God moves mightily on the other side of your, it was a little shepherd boy with a sling, but the giant came down. It was a it was an 80-year-old man with a stick, a shepherd staff, and the sea parted. God does miracles on the other side of your obedience. Number three. He says to the king, open the east window. The east window equals prophetic vision. I want you to notice he doesn't say open the north window. If, if the king would have gone to the north window and opened it, he would have seen the Syrian armies. He would have seen the, 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 the Syrian catapults and all their weaponry and their chariots and he would have seen them amassing. God doesn't say the answer is by dwelling on the problem, by focusing on the negative, by, by repeating about how hopeless and how devastating and the economy and the Antichrist and the World Economic Forum are doing this and Bill Gates and, uh, and provide the vaccine. He says, go open, to the, go open the east window. Open the east window. But there's no enemies in the east window. What is it about the east? The sun rises in the east. God says, I don't want you to look at the stuff that's amassing there. I want you to begin to prophesy into a new day. See, what's interesting is the Syrians are also known as Arameans. Aram is Syria. If you read your Bibles, which we encourage. Abraham was from Aram. Abraham was an Aramean. The seed of Abraham is Israel, but his DNA is Aram. What this is, is all the things that they never dealt with, all the things that they never put to bed, all the things that they never put to death has grown and amassed and is now threatening to take them out. And it is gathered around them. And Elisha says, open the east window 
and begin to prophesy a new day. My father was an alcoholic. My father was abusive. He had severe rejection. And he was a very, very broken and relationally dysfunctional man because his daddy was an alcoholic who was abusive, was a relationally dysfunctional man. In my life, had Christ not intervened, I was on the same trajectory. I had so much rejection, so much dysfunction, and I was spending my entire paycheck at 17, 16, 17, and 18 on alcohol. Had nothing left. Afterwards, I was on the same trajectory, and then Christ stepped in. But I don't have to look at the generational garbage because what God did for me was he said, I want to give you a picture that goes beyond the data that has been programmed three generations into every pore, every cell in your body. Your, your DNA may carry the curse. Your DNA may carry all the garbage from the past. But I want you to open the east window. What, what do you do with the window? You see through the window. It's vision. He says, I want you to get a vision for the sun rising. The Bible says in Malachi 4 verse 2 that the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. God is a God of new days. The reason that we're here in El Cajon is because we want people to know you may come from generational cycles of addiction, generational cycles of drug abuse, generational cycles of alcohol abuse, generational cycles of poverty, generational cycles of infidelity and brokenness. But when you come into this house, into this house, there's an east window that God is going to get you to open. And if you'll be courageous, if you'll open the east window and choose to see through it, that's where you then get the arrows and you begin to shoot the arrows. You begin to shoot the promises of God through that. God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and see all the land that you see I'm giving you. Abraham had separated from life. Put it up on the screen. Genesis 13, 14, and 15. I've got to hurry, I've got to hurry, I've got to hurry. Oh. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him. Pastor Michael, what does the name Lot mean? Veil. See, he's brilliant. It means veil. <laughs> Lot was Abraham's compromise. Compromise always puts a veil over you. Abraham was meant to leave his father's house, but he took Lot with him because his name means father and he wasn't a father. So he wanted to pass off Lot as a pretend son. Abraham's compromise put a veil over him. When Abraham and Lot separated, now God says to him, lift up your eyes now and see. Northward, southward, eastward, westward, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. In other words, what you don't see, you can't possess. What you don't see, I haven't given you. But what you do see, don't look at the problems, don't look at the hopeless, don't look at Governor Mussolini and the crazy, don't, don't look at the vote, don't look at, open the east window. Look at the promises of God. Begin to shoot the promises of God. Shoot the promises of God. Every arrow is a promise of God. That's why when he shot the arrow, Elisha says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and deliverance from Syria. Arrows are prophetic words that you shoot into a day that's not yet. You begin to prophesy. The devil told me that the price I would pay to, to win San Diego would be the death of my firstborn son, that he would take kill my son. My son struggled for eight years with a heroin addiction. The devil kept telling me time and time again, I'm going to take him, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to take him, I'm going to kill him. But I said, you can't have him. God told me, God spoke to me, because there was one day I, I believed it was the devil was telling the truth, which is a stupid thing to believe. And God spoke to me and he said, Jürgen, I gave my son. He was more than enough. You don't have to give your son. I gave my son so that you don't have to pay with your son. I took that as an arrow and I said, devil, you said, but the word of the Lord came to me. God gave his son. You shoot God's promises. Shoot God's promises into the atmosphere. But you got to see. Because Abraham saw, fast forward, his great grandson Joseph is in a prison. In Egypt, he's been falsely accused and found guilty of trying to rape his master's wife. This, Egypt, this Hebrew slave came down to Egypt and he came down there, tried to humble me and tried to rape me. 
and he was thrown into a prison. His daddy thinks that he's dead. Nobody is coming for him. But in the prison, in the prison, he is faithful. In the prison, the Lord is with him. Why? Because he sees the dreams that God gave him and he chooses to see the dreams. He chooses to see that the sun, the moon, the 11 stars is prophesied. They will bow down and he becomes the most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh because he was a seer. Joshua and Caleb saw that their protection and a part of this is a land flowing with milk and honey. God moves through seers. God moves through seers in this house, in this house. Oh, I, I just think you guys don't face reality. No, in this house, we know the reality. We know the reality. We're trying to get you to create a new reality. Why do you want to live under the reality? Well, you know, the doctors have said and the economists have said, don't listen to the people with their finger in the curse commentating from the curse. Go to the Word of God. Open the east window and begin to declare, declare over my marriage, over my family, over my finances, over my children, over my life. God has got promises. His mercies are new and fresh every morning. The greatest days are in front of me. My future will look nothing like my past. I am a curse-breaking generation. Come on, give the Lord a praise. I have to finish because it's time. Shoot, I haven't got to the last point. David, when he was in the valley, when David walked in the valley with Goliath, if you read 1 Samuel 17, it describes Goliath. And there came a man from Gath, a champion. Oh, thank you. Thank you for telling us that. The undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the world, Goliath. <laughs> he was six cubits in a span, nine feet nine. Had a bronze helmet on his head. Had armor on his chest. And the weight of his armor was 600 shekels. Oh, you weighed it? Oh, we're just guesstimating. Oh, you didn't weigh it? No, we're just... just they described Goliath. Everybody looking saw a little shepherd boy facing a giant. Everybody looking saw little ditty bitty David facing a mega juggernaut, undefeated champion of Gath, giant, heavily armored. And it's two against one because a shield bearer went before Goliath. David's there with no shield, no spear, uh, no, spear no armor, no weaponry, no helmet. Everybody looking and commentating, the commentators were telling us the giant is Goliath, except for one person. David says, huh, you come against me with your sword, your spear, and your javelin. And you think that those things, because they worked against the Philistine people, they're going to work against me? Hate to burst your bubble, but you ain't the giant. Because I come against you in the name of Yud Hevave, the covenant making, the covenant keeping, the promise making, the promise keeping God. And this day, he, he will deliver you into my hand, and I will take your head from your ugly carcass. I'm gonna feed your body to the beasts of the field and your carcass to the birds of the air so the whole world may know that there is a God in Israel. David didn't look like everybody else did at the naysaying negative Nancy about Goliath. David saw that the giant on the battlefield was the one backing him up, was the almighty God, was the promises of God. God had promised, no man shall be able to stand before you. Why do you think David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Because he says, he's just a man. You see a giant, you see impossible, you see undefeated, I see a man. And God's promise, God's arrow that I'm shooting into the new window. There's a window that's opening up. We will never be a the Bible says and Israel had victory over the Philistines all the days of David because he opened the east window. The last one is strike until equals complete victory. Strike until equals complete victory. He says to the king, now take some arrows. He says, because you've got to strike until. He says, now take the arrows and strike the ground. 
And the Bible says, the king goes, tap, 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 and stops. And Elisha, this is his last statement. He says, why did you stop? Why three times strike you out? You should have done five or six. You would have wiped them out. But now you'll only have three victories and then they'll amass and they'll overtake you. And he died. Strike the ground until. You don't understand, Pastor. I, I, I heard you preach about your marriage, about how you got her is how you keep her. You got her through date nights. So you got to, well, we, we, I did three date nights and nothing changed. Who, 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 who said stop? Who, who said stop dating? You, you said you got to go first. You got to be the first to apologize. Yeah, well, I did that three times and now I'm just, who, 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 who said you got to stop? Well, I, I tried it, Pastor. I tried it your way. Saying, well, you know, the, the antidote to, to selfishness is serving. So I tried serving my spouse, but they just take advantage of it. <laughs> Well, who, who, who said stop? Well, I, I tried tithing. I tried tithing for three months. Nothing. Well, who, who, who said stop? If you said to me, hey, pastor, where do the wheels fall off my life? I can tell you. I can tell you exactly where it is. Go back to the last thing God told you. Why'd you stop? Elisha never said stop. He said strike until, strike until, strike until, strike until. He never said stop. The king stopped. He says you've got to strike until. Now watch this. Moses struck the, 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 water, the rock at the waters of Meribah and out of a rock, water flowed. He only had to strike once. Elijah and Elisha struck the waters of the Jordan once and the waters parted. But the ground is not the rock and the ground is not the Jordan. Why? Because in Genesis 3.17, when man sinned, God didn't curse man God couldn't curse man because God blessed man. Genesis 1.28. So God said, cursed be the ground for your sake. Cursed be the ground for your sake. He says, you've got to take the promises of God and you've got to strike the cursed ground. You've got to strike what is cursed. You've got to strike the... Aramean, you've got to strike the generational curses in your life. How often do I do that, Pastor? You strike until, you strike until, you strike until, you strike until. Elijah prayed until. Once wasn't enough. Twice wasn't enough. Three times wasn't enough. Four times. Elisha, the servant, saw once didn't work. Twice didn't work. Three didn't work. Four didn't work. Five didn't work. Six didn't work. But on the seventh time, I see something. Breakthrough is coming. you got to strike until. you got to strike until. Pastor, I went to church and nothing shifted. Keep coming. Pastor, I started serving on a team. Keep serving on a team. Pastor, I started. Keep giving. Keep forgiving. Keep loving. Keep speaking the promise of God. Keep shooting the arrows. you got to strike until. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Strike until. Now listen to me. The Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. Satan's number one weapon is discouragement. He's whispering, come on. You've prayed five times, nothing has changed. You didn't even, you sure you heard from God? Man, you've been telling all the time. He comes to bring discouragement. He wants you to believe that, come on, come on, are you serious? Getting arrows and striking the ground? How does that? The arrows are the promises of God. The promises of God. The, the ground was cursed. It is legit. Out of, out of the sweat of your brow, out of toil, the earth will yield to you its increase and even the increase will come with thistles, thorns, and briars that will pierce your skin and your flesh. It's a picture of Yeshua. To break the curse, he had to be pierced. He had to sweat. The pastor, I'm striking. Let me tell you, don't lose heart. And I'll tell you why. You strike not with zeal or rage. You strike with God's promises. You strike with what God has said. God, but you have said. You have said, blessed be the fruit of my body. 
I'm going to keep believing God, even though the doctors have said we're barren, the doctors have said we're infertile, the doctors, I'm going to keep believing, I'm going to keep striking, I'm going to keep striking. And the way that you do is you keep shooting the arrows, you keep striking the curse with the arrows, keep striking the curse with the arrows, and I'll tell you why. The ground was cursed. So God sends His Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word was crucified on a cross and then stuck in the ground. But on the third day, the Word under the ground that was cursed came up from the ground, breaking the curse, overcoming the curse. When curse and word meet, curse bows its knee because the word is the highest authority. The devil doesn't want you to hear today that if you take the arrows, if you take the promises of God and strike until, and strike until, and strike until. How did you build these campuses? Uh, all I did was I took the promises of God and I struck until I saw Beho. I struck until I saw El Cajon. I struck until, you just strike until. How's your son? He's, he's married. He's married and he just got an award. He, his sales office is the number one sales office in, in all of America. They just put him into the, the, the solar hall of fame because we struck until, we struck until, strike until. Come on, lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, today I choose to declare your promises. Now, once you get a little bit aggressive, say, in devil, I serve notice on you that I will not be discouraged or dismayed, but I will strike until every curse is broken off my life, every generational curse, every financial curse, every poverty curse, every barrenness curse is broken off my life, every addictive curse broken off my life, every oppressive curse is broken off my life. I will strike until. Come on, if you believe that, give God a great shout. Give God a great shout. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.